So, Mark. Yes. Nicholas Cage. Oh boy. I just want you to go. Nicholas Cage. He has transcended humanity, has become a concept, or at the very least a sexy cat, and somehow still manages to turn in good performances every so often. I always think about that community episode where there's a week-long seminar to determine whether or not Nicolas Cage is a good actor, and one of the arguments this made is like, look, he keeps getting hired, so something is working. I mean, I feel like the fact that he is a Coppola is not to be discounted from why he gets hired. Sure, I think it is worth talking about the fact that he is a good actor. I mean, we're going to be talking about a good performance today. It's weird to watch something from this early in his career. He's 21 in this movie. He's 21? Yeah. He looks old. He does. He looks browbeaten already. (laughs) But it's this thing where in the 80s into the 90s, Nicolas Cage was this exciting, young, very good actor. He's one of the people who came out of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And by the 90s, he is this person that people are really watching as one of the next greats. He wins an Oscar in the mid-90s, but he is sort of undone in the 21st century by a combination of his bad taste in picking projects and the fact that he was terrible at managing his money. So he hit a point where he had to take basically every job that became available. When he's good, he's good, but his biggest problem is choosing the projects where he can shine. And the fact that he lost all his money is a big part of that. That's a huge part of it. Have you ever seen Face Off? I've always wanted to see Face Off. (laughs) No, we should watch Face Off. I think with Moonstruck, it's a good performance. I enjoy his performance, but you see the beginnings of the crazy Nick Cage. Well, this is also a performance that allows him to harness that. And to use it for sort of the raw energy of Ronnie. But the problem with Nicolas Cage is that even when there's not an outlet for that energy, it still finds its way into the movie. Yeah. I find it insane that National Treasure is his most down-to-earth performance. It's really weird. In a movie where he plays a character named Benjamin Franklin Gates and is hunting for the founding father's lost treasure. And in a way, he's hunting for recognition from his own father, Patrick Henry Gates. Played by John Voight. What a movie. What a great movie, but what a short episode. <laughs> that is our shortest episode ever. Yes. Even our Madagascar episode is longer. We we had some other stuff going on there. That's true. So what is your favorite Nick Cage performance? I mean, it's probably National Treasure. Yeah, it's He's great National in it. Treasure. Raising Arizona is definitely up there. That's a great one. That's the same year as this movie. I thought it was one year after. No, so Moonstruck is 1987. Raising Arizona is 1987. Broadcast News is 1987. What a year for film. We talk a lot about, like, the 90s rom-coms that get their start with When Harry Met Sally, which is end of the 80s, and Pretty Woman. But there is this sort of bubbling undercurrent of those ideas building up by the end of the 80s. Yeah, that is a great year for movies. Yeah. And Dirty Dancing. That's right. I'm looking at the box office mojo. Dirty Dancing was number three. You know, we have never discussed on this show, and by the time this episode comes out, it will have been a long time, the travesty that is modern box office mojo. I don't care for it, to say the least. an ugly design, and a ton of the useful information is now hidden by the IMDb paywall. So, this is garbage. What a surprise. Amazon is ruining everything. I've switched over to a website called The Numbers, which is solid but not on the same level as box office mojo Mm -hmm. so this is all public information if anyone wants to just build box office mojo exactly the same as it was before that is a thing they could do (laughs) so moonstruck (laughs) 
Welcome to We Love to Love. I'm Will, and I'm a ginger. Oh boy, I don't know this part. I'm Mark, and I'm gay. This is an investigative podcast committed to examining the most pressing, urgent issue of our day. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are any of these people dateable, or even likable? Wow, I feel lost. Uh, doesn't matter, romance, rape plot, flirtation, we'll figure it out. Back to you, Will. (laughs) As we have already said, this week we are discussing the 1987 romantic comedy Moonstruck, starring Nicolas Cage and Mark's good friend Cher. My god, she's so good at this. It's directed by Norman Jewison and written by John Patrick Shanley, author of Doubt. (laughs) I did not notice that. That's awesome. To be fair, like, that's not the only other thing Shanley wrote. He also wrote and directed Joe vs. the Volcano. I know absolutely nothing about that movie, and I refuse to engage. We've gotta watch it. I'm, I don't know why, but I just feel better knowing that I know nothing. It's the original Tom Hanks Meg Ryan movie. Wow. I assume he's Joe and she's the volcano. I would be very into a movie where <laughs> Tom Hanks actually romances a volcano voiced by Meg Ryan. Would she be animated like that uh, Pixar short, Lava? The sexy volcano? Yeah. I assume so. What a weird short. I loved it. <laughs> not gonna lie. I did not, but <laughs> whatever. I was so into it. Was that attached <laughs> to Inside Out or Finding Dory? I don't remember. I think Inside Out. It was one of the ones when I was in Indiana. Yeah, I think it was oh, Inside no. Out. Dory was Piper. Yes. Which was good. Yeah, that was the year that somebody pointed out it might have been um, Kyle Buchanan, who was at Vulture at the time and is now at the New York Times, pointed out that more people had seen Piper than most of the Best Picture nominees because Piper was attached to Fighting Dory. That is weird, and I don't like to think about that. It's weird, right? Yeah. Like, last year, more people saw Bao than probably saw Green Book. Wow. That's crazy to think about. Bao is, uh, that's one of my favorite shorts. Yeah, it rules. I actually thought about Bao while watching this movie because I got this vibe of ethnic communities in bigger, diverse cities. Yeah, this movie is very much about a very specific community of Italian-Americans living in Brooklyn. Yeah, it was nice to be watching it. We're recording this episode at the end of 2019. As I'm thinking a lot about The Irishman, I'm like, oh, yes, I'm dipping myself right back into that world. So I was surprised at how little of the movie is about Cher and Nick Cage's relationship. But it's also kind of entirely about that. Right, it is. It's the core of the movie, but there's a lot of just life, like, in her family. Yeah, one of the things I liked about this was that in sort of the same spirit as When Harry Met Sally, dot, 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 we get these glimpses of lots of different relationships throughout the movie. We're not just lasered in on this one. Right. Like, her uncle and aunt's relationship brought me so much joy. Yeah. Her uncle Ray is just a terrific character because he's a guy who seems to get such tremendous joy from living. And his wife. Yeah. That was, like, my favorite relationship in the movie. They were so cute. Ray and Rita. What a blast. Now, I'm assuming that you will want to talk about Cher. (laughs) My god. I sent a Snapchat while watching this movie that after she gets her hair done, I was just like, sorry, dropping out of grad school to focus on getting this hairstyle full time. (laughs) She just looks so good in this movie. It is a look. It is the pinnacle of 80s. In the Cinderella beauty salon. Yes. She gets transformed by her beautician fairy godmother so she can go to the ball slash metropolitan opera. I love how her beautician is just like, oh my god, finally, thank you for letting me do this. 
This is the day I have waited for! <laughs> yeah, she was so excited to dye the gray out of Cher's hair. She starts popping champagne. Confetti bursts <laughs> from the ceiling. The grays will go! <laughs> Loretta's getting her life on track. And meanwhile, Loretta just keeps telling herself, like, no, I'm just, like, doing it to get for a fancy thing. It's not about this guy. Yeah. This, this sweaty baker man. <laughs> oh, my God. Their relationship is so weird. It's all about passion, Mark. It's very passionate. It's like animal instincts taking over. Which is kind of the point. I mean, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but there's that moment before they make out for the first time when Cage says, I was dead, and Cher says, me too. And it's like they sort of needed something outrageous to shock themselves out of this funk they had fallen into. Exactly. And there's this animal magnetism between them. It's like a very weird chemistry between the actors, too. But it works. But it works. This movie made me so happy. It was such a blast. And it's worth noting, too, that the movie was a big hit. It was, like, a critical darling. It made a ton of money. It grossed $80.6 million. Oh, my God. Which made it the fifth highest grossing film to be released in 1987. But it made most of its money in 88 because it opened in December. Yeah, I was confused because I opened the 1987 box office to just look at it. And Moonstruck's number 39. But it makes more than the number three movie, which is Dirty Dancing. Right, and that's because it makes most of its money in 88. For context, it opened behind Good Morning Vietnam and Three Men and a Baby. Three Men and a Baby, the number one movie at the box office of 1987. Oh my god. That movie made $167 million. It was a wild hit. (laughs) And of course was produced by Disney. Of course. This movie was also a big awards player. It got six Oscar nominations, including Best Picture, Best Director for Norman Jewison, who had also been nominated for In the Heat of the Night and Fiddler on the Roof, Best Supporting Actor for Vincent Gardenia, uh, which is a nomination I really like, and it won three for Best Original Screenplay for Shanley, Best Actress for Cher, and, and this is very cool, Best Supporting Actress for Olympia Dukakis. That's such a good win. Yeah, because it's not flashy, but she brings so much integrity to that chunk of the movie. So much emotion without being emotional. Like, she's a very stoic character, but you just get so many feelings. I love that performance. And I have just started rewatching Frasier, and it was very exciting to see John Mahoney in this. I just wrote John Mahoney at a bunch of exclamation points when he showed up. (laughs) Yeah. And I saw his name in the credits, and then I saw his scene, the first one, where it's just like five seconds that he's gone, and I was just... I was convinced he would come back, but I had no idea in what capacity. And I was very happy with the capacity they chose. It's just always such a joy to see him. Uh, Olympia Dukakis was just so good in this, too. And it was fun to see Vincent Gardenia back after his turn as Mr. Mushnik when we talked about that last month. Yes. Uh, it all comes back together. I mean, at this point, we've covered enough movies that we're starting to get more of this overlap. Yes. You know, 119 episodes, we've seen a lot of movies. Yeah, and some of those covered multiple movies, like No Strings Attached and Friends with Benefits. Oh my god. And our Oscar episodes. Yeah. So, do we want to start digging into the romance? I feel like yeah, we will Let's cover do it. most of it. And we've got so many fun things to talk about, so yes. we might as well just get things underway. All right. So, every week on We Love to Love, we take the romantic plotline of a movie... And we break it down into five points that help to summarize that relationship's story. So, Mark, because I knew that you would so appreciate the story here, I think it's only appropriate that you take over guiding us through these points. All right. So, point number one is the first proposal. Spoiler alert. This is the one where Sandra Bullock makes Ryan Reynolds get married to her. Yeah, and they bump into each other while naked. 
Yes, it's a really weird right. scene where Sharon just sits down on a couch and watches the proposal. But, <laughs> you know, she's a big Mary Steenburgen fan. She is. And Betty White. So, point number one. Are you proposing marriage to me? Yes. All right. You know I was married and that my husband died, but what you don't know is I think he and I had bad luck. What do you mean? Well, we got married at the city hall, and I, I think it gave bad luck the whole marriage. The movie opens with a bit of, you know, this movie's described when as... When the moon hits your yeah, eyes like a big <laughs> pizza <laughs> pie, that's some money. It's so on the nose, and I was so into it. It's great. So the movie... It's always interesting to be reminded, mm-hmm. too, of the way that, for a particular window of time, the way you told people a movie was in New York was by showing the World Trade Center. Yeah, it's very, not surreal, but it's kind of jarring every it's time. It's weird now. Yeah. Yeah. And at the same time, when I see those stuff, I remember that in the classic uh, X-Men story, Days of Future Past, the way they signal that 2013 is a dark future, because the comic was in the 80s, the way they show that is by having the towers destroyed. That's insane. It's hard to know, you know, growing up mostly after 9-11, it's hard to know how big of a feature those were in New York. But they certainly, in media, are things that get used a lot. I always think about the Aaron Sorkin show, Sports Night, where the establishing shot for coming back from a commercial was a shot of the towers. There's a Simpsons episode where Homer gets in trouble for, like, parking his car in between them. Like, on a tightrope between them? (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised. I think it's just a lot of tickets for parking just the sequel to the walk is the drive right (laughs) exactly joseph gordon levitt takes a car from one tower to the other that would be quite a feat anyway the movie's described as a slice of life film on wikipedia and Mm. it is kind of it it does open there are some big slices of cheese all right it does that's true there's literally a big slice of cheese. i know (laughs) you're so weird (laughs) so it opens with just kind of clips of loretta Dealing with people's money. Like, it starts in a funeral home, which was interesting. And it, like, follows movers around, but you also see Loretta doing the books at different people's businesses. She clearly, like, helps some businesses balance their checkbooks. Yeah. We're getting a sense of this little world. Right. You're just getting into the world. You're seeing little clips from everyone's life, and you're getting to know Loretta. She's a very no-nonsense woman. She's very frustrated that people don't have their receipts in order. And then point number one is she's at dinner with her boyfriend. Johnny, played by Danny Aiello. So the two of them are at the restaurant. He tries to order for her, and she's just like, no, 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 you're wrong. If you eat fish here, you're going to feel sick on the plane. He's going to Sicily to see his dying mother. So she's just like, you got to build up a carb base for the plane so you don't want to throw up. She's very prepared. Do you think she has been on a lot of flights like that? I... I kind of don't. I don't think she has dealt with this. I think she's just very confident in what she believes without basis for it. But you also hear in the background the waiter telling another waiter that Johnny's proposing tonight. And it's going to be very exciting and romantic. And the restaurant manager is really upset because he's like, he's been a good bachelor customer for 20 years. So Johnny proposes to Loretta. And Loretta is not very wowed by the presentation and tells him exactly how she wants him to propose. Yeah, he's got to get on his knees. He's got to have a ring. He doesn't want to get on his knees because he's wearing a nice suit. (laughs) Even the waiter's like, what's he doing? He's got to get on his knees. He's going to ruin his nice suit. But she says that her last wedding was basically they eloped at City Hall. And then I don't remember how much longer. It's like a month later, he's hit by a bus and dies. 
So she's a believer in bad luck and thinks that they have to do it right and set the precedent for good luck. This is one of the most Italian-American movies that has ever been made. Oh, 100%. I was just, like, constantly thinking about my grandmother and her family. And, I mean, Cher's not Italian, but I think the rest of them are. Yes, and it's worth noting, neither Norman Jewison nor John Patrick Shanley is Italian-American. Shanley grew up in a very Irish-American part of New York, and Norman Jewison was, is <laughs> Jewish. Yeah. But he himself, it's worth noting, had done these stories like Fiddler on the Roof that are about these contained ethnic communities. Right. So, as part of the proposal, the getting ready, when they're saying goodbye at the airport, they're arguing over how big the wedding will be. Because, again, Johnny is just like, look, who cares? Like, yeah. we just, like, get married. Like, we could do it next week when I get back up from my flight. And Sherry's like, no, it needs to be a big wedding. We need to do it right, so I have good luck, which means we need an actual date so I can tell, like, vendors when to have stuff ready. Right. And so I think they're driving straight from dinner to the airport, which makes sense because he's eating the fish and it might make him throw up on the plane. But they get to the airport, they're arguing, and then while he's there, he says, I want you to contact my brother. Here's his phone number. I haven't talked to him in years. I have never heard of your brother. Yeah. (laughs) And he's like, I haven't talked to him in years. There's bad blood, but I want him at the wedding. Basically, like, I want to get over this faulty relationship. And I guess the reason to ask Cher to do it is that his brother Ronnie would refuse to talk to him long enough to resolve the situation. But it is still weird that he sends her to try to clean this up. I think that's part of it. But I think it's also just he doesn't want to do it himself. And he's passing the buck. So she goes home, tells her parents, I'm getting married. And, well, (laughs) her dad does not want to pay for it. But she says, tradition says the bride father pays for it. It'll be bad luck if you don't do that. And I can't have another bad luck relationship. Her dad is like, why are you getting married at all? You already had a marriage. And how did that wind up? And she's like, my husband died. The marriage did not fail. (laughs) Yeah. He was hit by a bus. But the most important part is... Her mom asks her, is like, oh, you're getting married? Yes. Do you love him? And Cher says, no. And her mom's response is, good. So yeah. that kind of, esta- like, that four-sentence dialogue really establishes what their relationship is. And you kind of get this sense that Cher's mom, Rose, uh, Olympia Dukakis, is saying that's a good idea because then you're less likely to get hurt when stuff happens and goes wrong down the road. Right. It's so hard to call her Loretta and not just Cher. Right. I succeeded in my notes, but I am not succeeding in my speech. Yeah. So this brings us to point number two, where Loretta is, you know, trying to talk to Lonnie and forge the bond. Ronnie, sorry. (laughs) Figure out what's going on. Get him to the wedding. So she calls his bakery and talks to him on the phone. Is like, oh, I'm marrying Johnny. I want to talk to you. And he says, basically, no, and hangs up. So then she has to go to the bakery you want me to come to the wedding of my brother Johnny? Where's my wedding? Chrissy, over by the wall. Bring me the big knife. No, Ronnie! Bring me the big knife! I'm gonna cut my throat! Maybe I should come back another time. No, I want you to see this. I want you to watch me kill myself so you can tell my brother Johnny on his wedding day, okay? And... Eventually, she goes down to where the ovens are in the basement, and it looks intense down there. Okay, so this is a real bakery in Brooklyn, 
It's owned by an Argentinian immigrant named Gilberto Godoy. And he is sort of like the really big dude that you see shoveling bread in and out of the oven. That's his real bakery. He refused to stop baking bread while they were shooting in there. He's like, you can use the space, but I got to turn out 5,000 rolls today. And the next day. And the next day. And so he's just like continuing to make bread the whole time they're there. That's unbelievably cool. Yeah, the New York Times did a profile on him. That's kind of amazing. I'll put it up on our social media. It's oh my god. So funny. And apparently, like, they filmed in the bakery for three days, and he just didn't leave for those three days and just, like, slept on bags of flour. That's insane. This man sounds crazy. Gilberto! My man. So, anyway, they're talking, and it comes out that Ronnie was- And by the way, when we first see Ronnie, he is yeah. in full, like- Nick Cage mode. He's wearing this, like, tank top that he has mostly sweated through. His hair's a mess. He's got stubble all over the place. And he's got, like, full-on manic Nick Cage energy. Oh, yeah. He comes in fully caged. He is not, you know, slow build into his craziness. He is coming in hot to this conversation. I like your line, fully caged, because we have this sense of the word something being uncaged as being out of control but you're sort of turning that on its head where if something is fully caged it's all in on the crazy nick cage zone yeah only oh, hashtag get caged hashtag get caged there is one person where being fully caged is crazy so it's a weird thing where we need nicholas cage to become uncaged so that he can be less cagey exactly he has to hashtag get caged <laughs> he has to uncage himself in order to give a calm performance. But I don't think he does that anymore. No. So they're talking, and it comes out that... Although, I will say... Yeah. I don't think I saw him in anything in 2019. But 2018, he had Mandy, which was apparently quite good, and Spider-Man Noir. That's true. He was fairly uncaged in Spider-Man Noir. But I hear... What an incredible performance. I heard in Mandy, he's very wild, but it's a very good performance. Right, it suits the movie. Yeah. Um... So it comes out that the reason that Ronnie is mad at his brother is because while they're talking, he gets into an accident with a chopper and loses fingers on his hand. Right. It's like completely unreasonable that he is five years furious with Johnny about this because Johnny just like came in to buy some bread from him and Ronnie got distracted and chopped off all his fingers. But But then then Ronnie's girlfriend girlfriend left him over that, which is horrible yeah that is a sign that you know he probably in some ways is better off without her but johnny has his hand johnny has his bride yeah and so eventually loretta wears him down and is like where do you live and he lives upstairs so they go to his apartment yeah so they go to his apartment to talk more and while they're talking you know she's like giving him no sympathy yeah she has no guff for his nonsense Staring into his bullcrap about his life. Like, when she learns about the source of the feud, she's like, that's stupid. Yeah. Loretta holds no punches. She just fully says what is on her mind. But it is this moment where the two of them are going at each other with such aggressive honesty Mm -hmm. that each of them is saying things it seems like they have never said to anyone else. Right. And are just sort of consumed with each other and start making out. Yeah, so they start making out. And there is that moment that I mentioned earlier where just before they kiss, Cage says, I was dead. She says, me too. And it is this idea that they have been yanked out of 
the malaise that their lives have been in. Right. Like, they've just both, after the end of their last relationship, seem to have just been floating along, doing everything the same. And this, the spark just shakes them both out of where they've been. And I think he describes himself as a lone wolf. And Loretta's like, there's no such thing. Like, lone wolves die. Wolves hunt in packs. Uh, I I love your semantic (laughs) games there, Loretta. (laughs) Yeah, I was... Uh, no nonsense, Loretta. So great. She's terrific. And so then they make out. She stays the night. She stays the night. And this brings us to point number three. Woo! I'm going to marry him. Do you hear me? Last night never happened, and I'm going to marry him, and you and I are going to take this to our coffins. I can't do that. Why not? I'm in love with you. The day after, she's basically like, oh, God, what have I done? Type This is a horrible mistake. We can never do this again. Yeah. Cage, by this point, has immediately started calling her honey and talking about how he's in love with her. Yeah, has declared his love. And she's like, what's wrong with you? And goes to confession. She's a good Catholic. These people are so Catholic. (laughs) Yeah. There are, like, pictures of the Pope everywhere. Yeah. I love it. It's fantastic. (laughs) They're so Catholic. And it's, like, true, hardcore, like, Italian-American Catholic. Yeah. And so she confesses, and the priest is just like, is that you, Loretta? What the heck are you doing? Yeah. She's like, yeah, I, uh, I slept with... My fiance's brother. And so he, like, you know, does the whole do 10 rosaries or whatever. I don't really I think know it was how. Two. That's a lot of rosary. I, I don't know how confession works. He says, pray two rosaries, think about what you've done and how to make good life choices while you do it. Yeah. You know, fair advice. <laughs> the whole point of a rosary is that you're doing a lot of the same prayers over and over again. So it becomes just like a meditative thing. Mm. So the idea is like you could think about making better life choices. Hmm. I, I really, I've seen the beads. I, like, know them in theory, but I don't really... Yeah, so, like, the beads tell you which prayer to do, and a lot of it is the same thing over and over and over again. And that's the point, is you're just sort of, like, counting and doing it, and it's a way to build up a rhythm so you can either sort of clear your mind or focus in on something. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Learn something new every day. Yeah, that's what we do this show for. (laughs) So she goes to confession, and it is basically, like... You know, oh, we forgot to say in point two, she is able to convince him to come to the wedding. Right. Even though he is in love with her by agreeing to go to the opera with him. Because there's two. Because the two things he loves are Loretta and and the opera. opera. And he wants to have them together. And then he will be happy for the rest of his life if he can just have one moment of Loretta and the opera. So after confession, she goes and is talking to her uncle Ray and Aunt Rita in their shop and takes the money that needs to be deposited at the bank. And when that happened, I got immediately very stressed after thinking about It's a Wonderful Life. And I was just like, if she loses this money, so help me God. Because at this point, Ray and Rita have rekindled their love too and are just like flirting yeah, Ray and Rita in the shop. Are great. And I was so happy. And I was like, if she loses their money, I will never forgive you, Loretta. They're just having a great time. It's not till the next day that they have their, like, moonlight makeout, right? I thought it was the night before this. I thought they were still having fun. Like, I just couldn't remember which of the nights that Loretta and Ronnie get together that they see the moonlight. Whether it was the first night or the second night. I thought it was the second night. Yeah, it might be the second. But I they tell the story while she's with Lonnie the first time. Or Ronnie the first Ronnie. time. I don't know why I keep thinking Lonnie. Um, so they just like really hug up on Lonnie Price in Dirty Dancing. Exactly. That's what I'm thinking about. Or Lonnie Price in The Muppets Take Manhattan. He's just really into Manhattan melodies. Yeah. That's the thing he wants to hang his career on. His dad will let him produce one show. And it's Manhattan Memories. Melodies. Melodies. God damn it. I'm losing it. Guys, it's the last week of the term. 
I'm what if done. Ronnie had a plan to get Loretta to the opera, and then he was going to get them into the opera, and then they were going to get married on stage as a surprise to Loretta. That would not be great in an opera, because I feel like any opera that has a wedding, at least one of the people is dead by the end of the opera. Oh, definitely. So, what we're talking about with the moon is, at dinner, while Loretta is sleeping over at Ronnie's, her uncle Ray is telling the story of how, while... Loretta's father, who's cheating on Rose, her mother, was courting. There was the largest moon that Ray had ever seen. And it was almost as if Cosmo had brought the moon to Rose to court her. And so while Loretta... It's a really lovely story. Ray, I think, is... In a movie where I kind of love everybody, Ray might be my favorite character. Me too. I was going to choose him. And I just love the way he tells this story. Yeah. And, like, kind of being mad at Cosmo at the time, but thinking, like, wow, he yanked the moon towards the earth almost with just the power of how much he was in love with her and so then that night we have this giant moon again and people finding these connections yes people finding love except for cosmo and rose who were the right. first people the and moon of course, brought there's together also cosmo's dad who takes the dogs out to ha- so they can all howl at the moon together yeah uh so cute so after picking up the money from Ray and Rita, she passes her beauty salon, and this is the makeover scene. <laughs> yeah. Where Cher gets- I thought a lot about the Princess Diaries. Yeah. This one feels more believable, because it's mostly just she goes and gets her hair and makeup done, and then buys a new dress. Which, like, you know, works. Yeah, it definitely works. She looks great. And so, this brings us to point four, which is the opera. What? I don't know. For your hair, for your beautiful dress. I don't know. It's it's been a long time since I've been to the opera. So she arrives at the opera and discovers that Cage has also made himself over. Yeah, he's done his hair. It's not just sticking up randomly. He's got a nice suit on, and they're a very lovely couple. Yeah, he looks good. And this is the thing where, again, you're like, Cage at this moment in his career is an exciting young actor, and he's pretty hot. Yeah, he's very unique looking, but it definitely works in this movie. Like, the shot of them at the opera together, it's very quintessential 80s, and they both look very good. So, at the opera, Cher Loretta has agreed, but clearly is very excited for it. And Yeah, she like I said, she got all dressed up, and mm-hmm. she's looking great. She's got that hairdo that Mark has since adopted himself. Uh, if only. You're looking so good. <laughs> She drops her coat off at the coat check, and Ronnie is just taken completely aback by her new dress. And then they go, and this is her first opera, and she is completely emotionally overcome. Like, you see her crying. She's very into it. Emotions are running high. Passions are being churned up, even though it is an opera, so it ends sad. As they always do. But while she's at the opera... In the bathroom during intermission, she runs into, without knowing it at the time, her father's mistress, who is- Rita! She's powdering her cleavage. Yes, she is. And so her dad and his mistress are at the same opera as them. A classic premise. I know, a classic premise. And then after the opera, they run into each other and are like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And And they're all scandalized because, of course, Loretta is engaged to Johnny. Right. And here she is with another man. And- Her father is, of course, married. Yeah. 
the thing is, I feel like she could easily just say, I agreed to go to the opera with my fiance's brother to get to know him. You are clearly cheating with mom. And I right. know that it would be a lie. And she'd have to go to confession again. Speaking of this relationship stuff, it's worth noting that when she was at confession, her mom said that she believed Cosmo was cheating on her. Yes. And Cher denied it. Loretta didn't believe her. Right. And tonight, while everyone is out, people are at the opera, Rose, Loretta's mom, goes to the Italian restaurant where Johnny proposed to Loretta. And she's hanging out there where she sees John Mahoney get dumped by another, like, 20-year-old. And she basically is like, you need to fix your life. Yeah, start by no longer dating your students, because that's bad. Yeah, and just like her daughter, she just tells it like it is, and it drives him wild. He's like, this is the most interesting conversation I've ever had, because you are just willing to tell me the ways that I am wrong, but also sit here and continue to talk to me instead of throwing a drink in my face. Yeah, so... Everyone is kind of having a moment at the opera, even if they're not at the opera. Right. And it's worth noting that Cosmo and Rita, like, still sort of go off to their night. But Rose lets John Mahoney walk her home and then just says, like, I'm not going to take you inside. And he's like, oh, yeah, like, there are other people in there. She's like, no, nobody's home. I can't invite you inside because I'm married and I know who I am. And, like, she is just this solid figure. She's just so full of dignity. It's such a cool performance. And her dignity just never wavers either. I like her a lot. And you can tell how much the moments where she has to challenge that a bit really frustrate her. Like, she's so worn when we see her in church having gone to confession. And she says that she lied to Cosmo that Loretta came home the night before when she didn't because she stayed with Ronnie. Like, she takes her, like, trustworthiness, her forthrightness seriously. Mm Mm-hmm. I love Rose. So, after the opera... Loretta goes back to Ronnie's place again. hey And along the way, at first, she's like, no, I said I would go to the opera with you. I went to the opera with you. We're done now. Yeah. And he, like, barely pushes her on it. And she's like, fine, you got me. I know. But it's so funny because she's just like, it was so sad. I didn't know it would be so sad. Clearly, she had never seen an opera before, for sure. Yeah. So they're walking. She's like, no, no, no. And then she just goes, you walked me to your place. And he goes, yeah. She's like, fine. <laughs> You convinced me. So she goes I in. I suppose. Yeah, so she goes. It's ridiculous to come all this way and not get the D. She spends the night with him. But, unbeknownst to her, Johnny and Ronnie's mother has made a miraculous recovery. So he has flown home and goes straight from the airport to Loretta's house so that she can see him. Yeah, as soon as she was told that Johnny was getting married, she was out of bed and cooking for everybody. Yeah. She was so invigorated by that prospect. I could only just picture that his mom was Sophia from Golden Girls. That's like all in my mind. So Rose covers for Loretta, says basically, I don't know where she is. Come back in the morning. And the next morning, Loretta comes home. And Rose is just like, what the heck are you doing? Yeah. Also, you have a hickey on your throat. (laughs) Yeah. And this is... Like a big one. Yeah. And so this is point five, which is kind of just the next morning when it all crashes together. Loretta. What? Will you marry me? What? Uh, Where's the ring? Johnny. Can I borrow that ring? (laughs) In some very strange ways. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and the, the doorbell rings, they think it's Johnny, but it's not, it's Ronnie! 
and Ronnie's come over, and he's like, Loretta, we gotta be together. Yeah. I'm here to meet your family. I'm here to meet your family, because we're in love. And Loretta's just like, no, stop. <laughs> yeah, Loretta's like, what are you doing here? And he just won't leave. And more and more people are arriving. Cosmo comes downstairs. Ray and Rita come over. And so, eventually... Loretta agrees and is just like, all right, when he gets here, I'll tell him. And then Johnny shows up. And then Johnny shows up. And he's like, my mother's made a miraculous recovery when she found out that we were getting married, so now I can't marry you. I love when he breaks off the engagement, even though she was planning on doing it too. Loretta's response is basically be like, what? You're going to break up with me? How dare you? I did all this for you, and as soon as you love your mom more than me, and it takes Ronnie being like, uh, Loretta, do you remember what we were here to do? And so... She tells him and then forces Ronnie to do the same thing, get on his knees, and then proposes again with Ronnie. Er, the same Johnny's pinky ring. Pinky ring. It's incredible. Great. It's incredible. And it's the end of the movie. It's the end of the movie. They celebrate, so they have champagne, and the grandpa brings Johnny over and is like, you will be part of this family still. And so even Johnny is like brought over. His mom's alive, so he still gets some happy ending, and they all just like cheers and the movie ends. And the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie. Like a pie. big pizza pie, that's a body. So, Will, we have yes. been struck. We were struck by the moon. Do you find the romance of this movie believable? I don't know. <laughs> I liked it. <laughs> I liked it, but no. She's known Ronnie for three, three days, days, and they're engaged. Like, it's it's... No. He's a sweaty bread man. He's a sweaty bread man. I mean, like, I believe that there could be real passion between them. Yeah. But it's just, it's so over the top. Yeah. So where would you rate this on our 10-point scale where zero is you believe none of the romance and 10 is you believe all of it? What did we give while you were sleeping? A three? A three. I'm going to go This is with... lower. <laughs> I... This is a two. Yeah. I don't know. I was going to put it on par because... Um, it they... Is... She... Sandra Bullock knows Bill Pullman longer. It's true, but... For, like, three weeks. Yeah. She does admit that she didn't love her fiancé and that she does love Ronnie. So it does make sense that, like, how it ends, but it's still... I don't know. I feel like I just want to give it a three because I like it so much. It's so good. It's so good. I'm a two. Okay. I think I might stay at a three. Okay. She's ve- They're all very passionate people, Will. They have it's the very, Italians. They have very strong emotions. I did love when Rose does ask Loretta, like, you're marrying him? And she says, do you love him? And Loretta responds, yes, I do, mama. And Rose just goes like, shit, essentially. <laughs> so do you think that Loretta and Ronnie are dateable? Um, I think Ronnie is a sweaty, crazy bread man. But think about all that bread. I would love to get a discount on nice bread at a bakery. But yeah. Loretta, I think, is. And you know Gilberto's never going to stop long enough to hand you something, <laughs> so you need Ronnie. Yeah, you need a middleman. Uh, I think Loretta is dateable. Uh, yeah, she's a hardworking woman who rediscovers her passions. Yeah, I'm glad at the end of the movie that she has sort of found a new meaning in her life, because it seems like she was in a funk and had been for a long time. Yeah, I mean, when your new husband gets hit by a bus and dies like a month <laughs> like after your wedding, I think it's okay to need a long time to recover. Yeah. If you did have to pick one person in this movie to date, who would it be? Obviously, it's Ray. It's clearly Ray. It's clearly Ray. There's no other option. He's the best. He's the he's best. He's just so full of joy for life, and he's really into his wife, and he tells these stories about the moon. He's just such a romantic. I'm so happy. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes Ray hits my eye like a big pizza pie. He does. That's I don't even need the moon. A more Ray 
Like Patiamore? <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> we almost made it through the episode. We almost did it. Ugh. The movie's called That's Amore, right? Yeah, I think so. Oh, do you think that uh, Loretta and Ronnie will stay together? Yeah, I do. They're Catholic, so yes. And also, they're like really into each other. That'll probably be fine. Yeah. <laughs> now, many of the movies that we have covered for this show have been turned into stage musicals. Should this happen with Moonstruck? I think this could be a good musical. I mean, part of that is just because Cher's in it. So I was thinking like, oh, Loretta could sing some great songs. And I was like, well, yeah, because Cher is a good singer. But you could see this working as a musical comedy where you've got your core couple and then you have your B plot being the stuff with Rose and Cosmo. And Mona, that love triangle. Everybody else sort of orbiting the movie in their own way. I could see Ray doing a great song. Yeah, I feel like it's very set up in the ensemble way of a musical. Yeah, well, in 2001, John Patrick Shanley was reportedly working on writing a musical stage adaptation of the movie. In 2010, he did another interview where he said they had been working on it, and then it sort of fell apart for a bit, and they were working on it again. That, of course, now was 10 years ago, and I have not been able to find any updates since then. So maybe this will happen one day, but it seems like no. It seems like no, but I wouldn't be surprised if it did someday. Yeah. All right. I think that about does it for Moonstruck. Next week, we are maybe going to be headed to Italy again. We're looking at the 2010 Kristen Bell rom-com, When in Rome. (laughs) Neither of us have any idea what to expect. Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at LoveTheLovePod. And you can email us questions or movie suggestions at LoveTheLovePod at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Reviews on Apple Podcasts in particular really help other people to find the show. All right, Will. Last question of the episode. What is the best piece of dating advice that we can learn from the film Moonstruck? So in our episode on Can't Buy Me Love. Ooh, callback. I said that the best dating advice is to look at the moon. And I feel like that is still the case. The moon does wonders for a lot of different groups of people in this movie. It does. My advice? Bake bread. Mm, Gotta get that bread, man. (laughs) Gotta get that bread, man. You know, in my psychology classes, when I teach correlation and causation, I use a chart showing that the number of movies Nicolas Cage makes in a year correlates positively with the number of people who drown in a swimming pool. (laughs) That is a good example. Yeah, I just figured that I should say that before the episode ended. Well, on that note, until next time, I'm gay. And I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye! Bye. And the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie. That's a morning.